Good morning, if you would, grab a Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3 is where we'll begin in this part of our worship this morning, Proverbs chapter 3. Good to see you this morning. We have visitors with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for making the choice to come and worship God with us. We are so thankful that we can assemble as God's people this morning, that we can worship, we can remember the death of Jesus, our Savior, that we can open the Bible together. I want to remind you before I get started, uh, I hope that this month has been good for you. We're nearing the end of January, and I want to remind you about our devotionals that we're doing daily, reading through the book of Acts, and uh, remind you to keep up with that. And uh, if, if you have been maybe uh, not reading those devotionals, the good news is it's a new week. So tomorrow you can just start as if it's a new week, a new year, and just get back on the horse with that. I want to encourage everyone to do that as we're pursuing the theme and the thread of the unstoppable kingdom this year and about how God's kingdom is going to continue despite the opposition of Satan as we work through the book of Acts and our readings this year. And if you're interested and you're not on our email list, just let me know and we can put you on that email list so that you get those daily devotional emails uh, each weekday. But I want you to keep that in mind as you go through the week this week. Proverbs 3 and verse 27 is where I want to begin. Proverbs 3 and verse 27. The text says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had the ability to do good and just not done it? Have you ever told other people or even yourself, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it soon, even though you have the ability to do it right then? I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning, and particularly, I want us to think about how we can move to what we're going to call a just-do-it spirituality, that we really seem to struggle with just doing what we know to do. Very often, the battle is not about information. We know what we should do. The battle is not even about how to make a decision in the moment. We know that we should do this now. But there is a battle here that I believe Scripture can help us to overcome. It might be that the reason we struggle with this is because we keep waiting for the perfect time to do something. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes 11 that talks about this. It says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. The idea is if you wait to sow until conditions are perfect, then you'll never sow. And if you wait to reap until conditions are perfect, you'll never reap. In other words, there is no perfect time. Sometimes we just have to go ahead even when the time might not be perfect. Or it could be that we end up not doing what we know to do because we spend so much time studying and learning and thinking and planning that we never actually get around to doing. There's this phrase in Ezekiel 33 where God is speaking about Ezekiel. He says, Behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. So he says, you're just a performer to them. You know, they, they watch the show, they clap, they sing along. At the end of the day, they go home. They don't change. So they've thought about something. They've listened to you. They may even like what you say. They may even say amen, but it's not going to change anything. They hear what you say but they will not do it. James says this in James 4 and verse 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's the same problem, isn't it? Knowing what to do, but then just not doing it. So like the Pharisees, 
we can reach a point where we know what to do, but everything becomes more about positions and statements and how are you perceiving this and what are your conclusions from your study instead of just saying, are we going to do what God says? So I want us to talk about how we can move to a just-do-it spirituality. If you are like me, you have a long list of acts of service that you want to do, great ideas that you have to do in service to Jesus, in service to other people, things you want to study, people you want to help, and yet that list, instead of getting shorter, just seems to get longer. So I want us to think about how we can just do it. The first step in this that I believe Scripture can help is to just think in this way. If we see a need, go help. If there's something you see that needs to be done, go do it. Let's look in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, Jesus speaks about some acts of service that he wants his people to be doing. Matthew chapter 25. Needs that we can see and then go meet. Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to begin reading in verse 31. Matthew 25 and verse 31. The text says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So Jesus wants his people to see needs and go meet them. And you can see in this little story a variety of needs, all kinds of needs. There are hungry people. There are people who are strangers, which is another word for foreigners, people who are living in a land that's not their native land, people who are naked, people who are sick, people who are in prison. And a lot of these, it's not so much about the situation itself, but it's about the isolation or loneliness that comes from the situation. So he talks a lot about visiting. Visiting the sick, visiting those in prison, welcoming the stranger. That it's not just about eliminating the problem, but it's about meeting the need. In fact, isn't it interesting? Jesus doesn't say, I expect my people to do more than they can. He doesn't say, I expect you to get the people who are in prison out of prison. That's beyond our ability. Nor does he say, I expect you to naturalize all the foreigners. That's not something we can do. Nor does he say, I want you to heal the sick, make them better. No, he says, I was sick, and you visited me. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. These are the things Jesus expects, to see a need and go do what we can. And, of course, the turn of the passage is in verse 40. In verse 40, he says, The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus wants us to see him in the need. And that we honor people who are in need by meeting that need the same way we would honor Jesus by meeting the need if it were Jesus in the position of need. So Jesus' equation is is very simple. See a need, go help. Go meet the need to the best of your ability in that moment. And that dovetails with a lot of what the New Testament teaches us about needs. Paul writes to Titus, remind them to be ready 
for every good work. The idea here is that good works happen in a way that we can't always plan. That opportunities arise, needs arise in a way that we can't foresee and we need to be ready to do them. He says later in that chapter, Titus 3.14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. The thing about urgent need is it's urgent because it's not planned. So we need to have the ability and the willingness to say, I'm going to be ready to meet the need wherever it comes, whenever it comes. So if I see a need, I don't need to wait. I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to think about it in the sense that I'm going to wait so long that it's no longer urgent. I need to be ready to meet the need where it is. 1 John 3 and verse 17 says this, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We have this world's goods and we see our brother in need. And yet he says we close up our heart against him. Now, when John mentions that, he's hitting us where we live. What we want to say is, you know, I'm sorry. I just can't do anything right now. Or I'll help soon. Or when I get some time, I'll get around to it. And what John is saying is, sometimes delay is the same as not doing anything. It's the same as not loving at all. Sometimes delay is the same as disobedience. And at some point, not yet, can't be distinguished from no. They're the same. So just do it. Just go meet the need. Go help. Just go say some kind and uplifting word to someone when you see that they need it. Just give when people are in physical need to help them. Just go pray for someone. As we've seen in the statements Jesus made, sometimes we just need to go see people and go visit them. Because the problem is not that we can fix the need as much as that we can minister to the person. Welcome and receive people who are new and different. Christians should be experts in being a welcoming people, particularly of people who are not like us. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Now I know that sometimes we need to think about scheduling. I know that sometimes we need to think about resources. We can't give what we don't have. Sometimes we need to think about what would help them the most in this situation. I understand. Those are all things to think about. But for me, those questions often turn into an excuse for inaction. Where I keep asking and I keep asking and I end up never doing anything. So to get to a just-do-it spirituality, I need to see a need and just go help. Second... See a necessary change and go fix it. Let's go to James chapter 1 here. James 1. What I'm talking about with a necessary change is about personal failings, failures or flaws in ourselves that we need to be able to see and then correct. James chapter 1 talks about this. I'm going to read in James 1 beginning in verse 22. James 1 and verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. 
But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James 1.26 now, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James's message is be doers and not just hearers. And he talks about when we encounter the Word of God, it is like looking into a mirror. It shows us as we truly are. And when we look into a mirror, just like when we look into a physical mirror, sometimes we see things that are not the way they should be. And he says, what is foolish is if we were to look into that mirror and see something that was not what it should be and then just walk away. He says, no, what what we should be doing is instead looking into the mirror and working to change what we see that's wrong. And he gives us an example in verse 26. In verse 26 he says, if anyone thinks he is religious... Excuse me, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So we see that there is a change I need to make. I need to discipline my tongue. I need to watch out in my speech. And so I have a choice to make at that moment when I realize here is an area that needs my attention. It's not that I don't know. It's that I now have work to do. And to have a just-do-it spirituality means that when I see that change, I need to go fix it. I am not sure if this is because I'm a preacher, uh, but it's possible. It seems to me that I quite often hear people point out their flaws to me in conversation. Sometimes they, they point out their flaws in this kind of tone where they say, you know, this is just who I am, or... This is just how I was raised, or this is just the way we are in our family. We're all like this. And it may be some attribute that they don't like, like, hey, we all gossip or something like that. But, but whatever it is, they, they're just saying, hey, this is just me. I'm a gossiper. That's what I do. Sometimes it moves on a little bit, and they'll say something like, you know, I really need to work on that. But at that stage, it seems to me that it's, it's really not a commitment to doing anything different. It's just sort of telling other people about ourselves. Hey, this is who I am, this is what I'm like, and I probably need to make some changes, but there's none in the offing right now. Sometimes, when people talk about that, at least in my experience, they go a little further. They'll read up on their issue and their problem, and they'll study, maybe they'll study what the Bible says about their problem. Maybe they'll ask other people for advice about how to deal with this problem. But we need to understand that while that's a more serious movement toward personal change, it's not the same as fixing the problem. That we can talk about it to everyone and we can read about it and know what we need to do, but there is a step missing until we get to work fixing the problem. So, what do I mean by go fix it? That begins by admitting it. I have a problem with this. It is a failing I have. And I'm going to work on it. Working on it means particularly noticing when and why and how I do it and how I'm guilty of it. Fixing it means I'm going to be praying for strength and for help and for forgiveness when I lapse back into the same habit. It means I'm going to renew my mind in Scripture about it. 
What does God say? What does God want? And when I mess up, I'm going to go back to Scripture and, and refresh myself in God's perspective about my flaw. It means I'm going to keep a strong commitment to change. I am not comfortable continuing the way I am. It means I'm going to seek out other people, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and be accountable to them. I'm working on this, but I know it's not done. Here's my progress. Here's how I'm doing this week. And I'm going to continue to ask them to pray for me and work with me. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to really address the flaw. And I'm going to not be a hearer without being a doer. Now, I understand, and I want you to understand, that there is hard work involved in this process. Because some of our flaws are deep-rooted. Sometimes we could even justifiably call them addictions. And we've got to work through those. And we've got to figure out, how am I going to get better? And sometimes we're going to try things in that process we just talked about that aren't going to work. And we're going to need people to work with us and to be patient with us. Sometimes we're going to have parts of our lives that require really careful Bible study. How am I going to know what God wants for me about this particularly? Some of these things have become a part of our personality. And so our personality is going to have to change. And that's a slow process. But what I am saying is, let's start that work instead of just talking about it. Let's just do it. The third thing. See an opportunity and go seize it. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. Acts chapter 8. There is perhaps no area where we are so reluctant to just do it as in the area of evangelism. Sharing the gospel with other people, talking to people about Jesus. So what we do when we start to think about evangelism is we hem and haw. And we plan and we ask around. And really, at least this is my observation, and this is something that's been true of me, it's as if we believe there is one really successful, right way to do evangelism. And that if we could just figure it out, we'd be fine. But we don't know where it is. And we don't know who's got it. So in preacher world... What that means is we always have to ask other preachers. Hey, what are you doing for evangelism? What are you teaching? What's your strategy? Because we think, you know, somebody's got the secret. It's just not me. And I don't know who it is, and I don't know how to find it. But, and this is true for all of us preachers and not preachers, what we believe is until I know the perfect way to present the gospel, I can't start. I can't do anything because I don't know exactly how to do it. Look with me in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Acts 8 and verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, I know Philip has some special divine guidance in this text, but I think we overestimate just what happens with the divine guidance Philip has. So essentially, as I read this story, 
an angel tells Philip to go on a road. All right? And then the Spirit tells Philip to approach a chariot. That's it. I don't read about the Spirit saying, now here's what you need to say. Oh, he says this, you say this. Here is the strategy you need to employ. All Philip does is ask a question. He hears the man reading Isaiah 53. He cannot stand the idea that this man would read and not understand the Christ about whom Isaiah 53 is written. And so he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch invites him into the chariot. Now he can say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the passage you've been reading. Philip seizes an opportunity. And I think sometimes we think Philip had only one way he could have done that. It seems to me that the divine guidance got Philip to the situation And then Philip just did what Philip does. He just talked about Jesus. Let me give you the New Testament perspective on this. When the scripture talks about evangelism, very often there is a particular image that's used. It is the image of God opening doors. So, let me show you that. Acts 14, 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together, this is the church at Antioch at the conclusion of Paul's first missionary journey, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened a door. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. By the way, it's interesting that The wide door also involves adversaries. But Paul says God's been opening this door widely. 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. And then Colossians 4, 3, he says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. I want you to think about that image for just a moment with me. God opens a door. That means that when God opens a door, we have access. When God opens the door, we can go in. There is an opportunity. But what is our job when God opens a door? Our job is just to go through the door. And see, when that happens, just like Paul is saying, it's not about me anymore. It's not about my preaching It's about the Lord who has opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. He opened the door. All I did was go in. And that to me says that when I see an opportunity, my job is to go seize it. To just say something. To stop worrying so much about if I can say the perfect thing. Now to be sure, I don't want to say something that's going to be deliberately offensive. I want to be careful about how I speak. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be so careful that I don't say anything. I don't want to be so careful that I don't seize an open door in front of me. So, just do it. Just give somebody a card. We still have, by the way, there are only uh, probably a couple hundred in the back, but we have thousands more of those little blue cards with the clouds on them that talk about our service times. Just give somebody a card and invite them to services. Just do something. Just ask somebody if you can pray with them 
especially when they've talked to you about some problem, some physical problem, or some emotional burden that they have. Just talk to them about what we do here. If they want to talk about, well, I don't go to church anywhere, well, why don't you come to church with me? Let me tell you about our church. Just talk to them about how Jesus has changed your life, how you're different because you're a Christian than what you were before. Just say something. We really can't overcomplicate this. There is no one right way to do it. Just seize the opportunity. Just do it. And finally, when you see God, go praise him. I want you to go with me to Luke 17 for a moment. Luke 17. It's a little story here that I think will help us at this stage in our study. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. Luke 17, 11, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus heals ten lepers, tells them to go show yourself to the priest, and as they go, they're healed. And nine of them just go on with their lives. It's an interesting idea. I, I wonder, if you've been a leper very long, especially in the ancient world, you had to live separately from everyone else. And if you were healed and cleansed from your leprosy, you would be thrilled. I imagine you, you want to go see your family. you got people to tell, people you may have not, haven't seen in years. You want to get on with life. And yet there is this one leper who comes back to Jesus to give thanks to Jesus and give praise to God for the miracle. Verse 17, look at what Jesus says. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus wants us, when we see that God has been active, to give glory to God, to stop what we're doing, to interrupt our lives, and to praise God. Sometimes we have a hard time feeling like God's really a part of our daily lives. So we, we gather like this and we study the Bible and we think about these ancient things. But then we, we have a lot of responsibilities in the modern day. You know, we have to go get a haircut. We have to pay the bills. We have to pay taxes. And we got to go through all those things that are just, they're not so ancient. They're very modern. And it doesn't really feel like God's a part of that. Maybe God's part of this, but not that. What will help us here is to have a just do it mentality about praising God. That when you see God, you go praise Him. And I want to tell you, when you are aware and looking for what God is doing in your life and in the lives of people around you, particularly your brethren, you will find a lot of fuel to praise God. I just sketched this down as I was writing this lesson. Just thinking through some areas where just in the past few weeks and months I've seen God. I see God at work in the lives of people who are showing patient love to their son as he works through difficulties. 
I see God at work as Christians take on added burdens to care for their parents, to care for their grandchildren. I see God at work as people make work sacrifices to be home more with their families. I see God at work when I see people having prayers answered about their physical health. I see God at work when I see the bonds between brothers and sisters growing stronger in this local church. I see God at work helping us to make changes to become better people. And I love it when people come to me and say, I've been working on this. Because I see God at work in that. I see God at work when I see Christians waking up after periods of spiritual laxness and saying, I want to do more. I want to be more involved. I want to get more serious about my relationship with Jesus. I see God at work in my life. I see God at work in the hearts of my children. I see when I become a better man, I need to stop and give praise to God. When I see God, and I don't mean that literally, of course, I mean when I see the traces of God's work, I need to go praise Him. I need to stop what I'm doing and say, Thank you, Father. You know, we have sad days and we have heartbreak. And we have things that we wish would go differently in our lives and in the world around us. But God is still at work. And we need to be able to stop what we're doing and just say, thank you, Father, for what we see him doing. So when you see God, just do it. Just go praise him. Don't wait for an opportunity. Don't wait for Sunday. Just go praise him. Praise him in prayer. Praise him in song. Let God know that you see him and that you appreciate him. I think you'll see that all of these involve seeing. See a need, go help. See a change, go fix it. See an opportunity, go seize it. See God, go praise him. We have to keep our eyes open, so to speak, to be aware of what's going on around us so that we can react in a Christian way, to be aware of needs, to be aware of our own failings, to be aware of doors being opened, and to be aware of God at work. It just seemed to me as I was thinking about this all week that in every one of these areas, there's a threshold. I'm going to come right up to the edge of the stage here. I'm going to try not to fall off. But there's a threshold that we hesitate to cross. You know, we'll think about helping somebody in need, and we'll talk about helping somebody in need, and we may get close to doing it, but when we actually go meet the need, that's a step that usually we hesitate to take. And the same with a change. You know, we'll get right up to the line of making a change, but then, you know, it's just a little much. We're not ready to take the plunge. And we'll get right up to the line of saying something about Jesus to somebody. Oh, let me just wait. Or we'll get right up to the line of saying, I think God's at work in that, but I'm not sure, so I'm just going to wait. And I am saying, we need to just do it. Just go through with it. Don't hesitate to go all in to do the things God expects you to do. So don't overthink it. Don't overlearn. Don't learn without ever doing anything. Just do it. Don't allow yourself to become callous to other people and their needs. Just meet them. Don't be paralyzed by your past. When you look back and you see mistakes, you see missed opportunities, just do it. Just do it now. Don't allow ingratitude and inaction to become your habit, where that becomes who you are. Just do it. Don't worry about making mistakes. 
Don't worry about doing it perfectly. Just do it. And I want to close with this thought. There might be someone here who needs to be a Christian. And maybe you're even waiting. You know that you believe in Jesus and you know that you need to do what Jesus has commanded you to do. But you're waiting. Maybe you're waiting on the time when you will feel like you are good enough to be a Christian. Maybe you're waiting because there are some other things you want to get in order before you make that commitment to Jesus. Ananias says to Paul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Why would you wait to have the forgiveness of your sins? You won't be perfect, but Jesus will accept you just as you are if you'll turn away from your sins and be obedient to him. Is there anyone here this morning who needs to come? We invite you to come right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.